Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Something to Talk About. I'm your host, Randy Wartelski, and I thank you for joining us today. Many of you who listen to this program and others on our airwaves are familiar with children. Maybe you have children or grandchildren of your own or experiencing life with someone else's children. And those of us who cross paths with kids know they make us happy, they make us smile, and as Bill Cosby once said, they say the darndest things. But when it comes down to the serious business of raising kids, there are many more questions than answers here. And how many of us actually take the time or even have the time to ponder what our daily life experiences with our kids mean for them and possibly more importantly, as is our focus today for ourselves. One mother who thinks about this and other things on a daily basis has taken to writing about her experiences as a mom. Joining us on the program today, Erica Schachter Schwartz. Erica Schwartz is a Harvard graduate who, before having children, spent several years writing and editing at the Wall Street Journal and freelancing for a few other publications. Over the past decade, while primarily a stay-at-home mom, she spent time continuing to freelance, writing a column in the Jewish Week, and working on a book. She has recently started a blog called Six in the City, which you can find at New York, uh, nymamadrama.blogspot.com about living in Manhattan with her husband and their six children. Erica, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So first off, let me start by wishing you a mazel tov on the recent birth of your twins. And just, uh, I know it's a subject you've written about extensively on your new blog. How has it been going? It's, uh, it's been ad- adventuresome. It's been interesting. Um, two is definitely very different than one baby. But um, we're kind of, we're, get, we're getting back to a little bit of a normal life and things are kind of calming down a little bit. So just to orient our audience, um, the twins follow. Right. So the twins follow. I had a basically t- 10 years of having four girls. I'm one of four girls. So it was a funny uh, repetition of uh, something that I was familiar with. And uh, we, you know decided to have another child and we found out we were expecting to so and we were given a boy and a girl so we got we got a boy in the mix but uh he came with another girl as well this is uh, this is probably a question you get all the time do people ask you all the time if twins run in the family so twins i have first cousins who are twins but twins don't really run in my family at all um and i basically found that i was expecting twins like the day I turned 36, which we thought was a funny uh, twice high coincidence. Oh, look at that. Um, and no, my doctor thought it kind of happens as you get older and the more pregnancies you've had. So that she it, attributed it to that. I have a sister-in-law who has twins, also a boy and a girl. And she said when people started asking her if twins run in the family, her answer would be, they do now. Right. <laughs> exactly. I always think about, I wonder what now if my own kids are now have a tendency to have twins. So you've written about... Um, having all girls and a couple of years back you wrote a piece in the Jewish week about quote having all girls obviously this was before the birth of your twins and your son and um, the women in Judaism website modern orthodox woman posted your article at the time and the author there said she has quote and we're quoting this author several friends who have three or more girls and they can't understand why people don't realize that they just feel blessed to have healthy children and 
I'm wondering, has your perspective on that changed now that you have a son? I, th- I think it has. You know, everyone has asked me, what was that moment like in the delivery room when a boy came out? And, and you didn't know beforehand? We did, we did not find out gender. We never have any of the other times. And the truth is, I, I think, you know, I mean, I wrote about it in, I think, one of my first Jewish Week articles, just never wanting to know, because I just never really wanted to have any reaction while they were in utero until they were born. Um, and, you know, when the doctor threw the first baby at me and said, it's a boy... I'd been imagining that moment so many times and I kept on expecting my husband to look overwhelmed and overjoyed and his face really looked no different than it had the four times before and then it did 17 minutes later when my next girl was born. Um, I think in some ways I like, I always thought it was going to be a much bigger deal than it was, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a healthy baby. It's a healthy child. Right. And, and still he had to share that moment with the girl. Right, exactly. Still he didn't get his own moment. Still, he had to share it with a girl. Um, it, it's interesting that you say that. You know, at the end of the day, it's still it still seemed sort of the same as it was when you had your girls. Because um, you've also written about the brissette. Right. So tell us about that. About how you celebrated after the birth of your fourth daughter. Um, so you know, I'd say with you know, girl number one, girl number two, and even girl number three, we did like the traditional. Uh, you know, more traditional Simchat Bat, you know, a few weeks after they were born. And this time, my fourth daughter, Lily, was born on the eighth day of Pesach. It was a Sunday morning. And we were, each time in the delivery room that we had, like, a Sunday delivery, we kept on imagining our Sunday bris and our, you know, omelet station and and all that. And the choo-choo train running <laughs> around the table. Um, and, you know, we decided that time that, there is something special with the birth of a boy about celebrating at that raw moment. I mean, now I know from having planned a bris that it's actually a very stressful week in right. a woman's life at a time when you're postpartum and hormonal. And um, But there is something about right away just, you know, giving thanks for the birth of a child and waiting that week to announce their name. And there was something exciting about doing it for a girl, too, since we, we were encouraged... I mean, we didn't wait eight days. We waited, you know, six till Shabbos to name her and kind of give her a, a bigger celebration in a shul context. So you made sort of the, the girl's version of a bris. The girl's version, right. Of, a, well, <laughs> of the celebratory meal. Exactly. And, and now that you've had a bris, I mean, that you, you've had a son and you've made a bris, was it everything that you thought it would be? Or So we actually, we did in very uh, egalitarian way, we, we actually combined our bris and our baby naming of our daughter. I had decided that if once I knew I was having two, I thought the odds of having a boy in that mix were, were greater. I said, if there's a boy and a girl and they're the boy is born on a Torah reading day, then we're going to name the girl that day as well. Okay. So they were, he was born, they were born on a Monday. Um, and it was very, it was, it was very emotional because, uh, you know, my son was actually his bris ended up being on the yurt site of his namesake of my grandfather, of a grandfather of mine. Wow. And we named our daughter for his wife, my grandmother. Oh, um, my. So it was that's these, delicious. These two babies being named. They had, uh, you know, shared a womb as they uh, they actually share a tomb. And it was uh, it, it was it was very nice to do them both together. And we had, you know, we did the whole pink and blue balloons thing. Wow. Um, but it was really a mixture of, of, of both. 
I, I have, um, I know somebody who had a girl after two, two or three boys. And I mean, unfortunately she had a lot of people to name for. So this girl ended up having like four names, <laughs> you know, because they just wanted to get all the names in just in case there wouldn't be another girl. And they wanted to, you know, have a name for, for whoever in their family they wanted a name for. Uh, they subsequently did have another girl after that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on, on the right. baby boy name. We, we had a lot. We actually, we had a little bit of a similar situation. And, we, you know, we kind of were hoping for two boys at the end so we could really get all these male relatives in that we had reserved along the way. Um, you know, my sister joked, she goes, oh, it would be so much easier if you were having triplets. Then maybe you'd have two boys. Um, but, no, I mean, we ended up, you know, there was something just, you know, first I was going to have a scheduled C-section and at the last minute this baby boy, what turned out to be our baby boy, changed directions and set himself up for a natural delivery. And, you know, and, and so his bris that it ended up being on the exact yard site felt like God had handed us a name, you know, and we just kind of wanted to go with it. So, um, how did you come up with the idea to start a blog about your experiences? Um, well, I start, you know, I guess I just felt there was something unusual about having six children in Manhattan when you're not in a community where everybody seems to have, you know, such multitudes of children. Um, You know, I'd say most people in our community have, you know, three, um, even four is kind of like a big family. Everyone knows the people who have five and everybody kind of, points at the people who have more than that you know it's just kind of a category they say right how many do you have again (laughs) I don't even remember um but I just and and I thought the whole twins experience was really I mean now obviously I'm becoming more I just was never somebody who paid much attention to twins and thought much about the twins that were in my kids classes and what that must have been like for the parents but it's really it's just a very it's an unbelievable experience from the from the birth and obviously now we're experiencing it. It's just, it's very, it was a very theatrical delivery. There were a million doctors in the room and it's, it's something unusual that I think people who don't ever have it don't really know about. So I thought it was something cool to write about. Do you, how, how has the dynamic changed in your house having had the twins now? And that, and I know, I know you've written some, some humorous pieces on your blog about various experiences about the kids coming home from camp and, and starting right. life anew. Um, you know, in some ways I feel like we kind of have this like first chapter of like the four girls, um, and then this little, you know, kind of second chapter of these twins. And and in some ways I think like, you know, we're very lucky that it was two because one baby, my other children are, you know, within six years of each other. So they were much closer together. So at least the twins have each other. The twins have each other. Exactly. Um, but no, you know, the girls, they're very helpful. I think they, you know, seven in the morning when I'm trying to get them up for school I sometimes hand one a baby and say you're the first one dressed so you get to give a bottle it's almost easier to have babies at home when you have older kids who could help you take care of them it's true especially girls right I mean it's hard sometimes when they're like mom I have to go do my homework and I'm like no you have to help me get them down to sleep first um I had an an experience uh last week where my two-year-old was in his crib in the morning and it was taking me some time to get myself together and I wasn't running to get him from the crib and he's screaming, mommy, mommy, mommy. And I went and I did my thing and I come out, it was probably also like seven in the morning, come out of my room and there's my two-year-old son, totally dressed head to toe. 
And there's my eight-year-old daughter standing next to him. And I said, what happened here? How did you, how did this happen? So she said, she heard him screaming, mommy, mommy. And then she heard him screaming, stinky, stinky. So she went into his room (laughs) and she took him out of his crib and she took him to the bathroom and she changed him and she did everything totally unprompted. I don't think she's ever even changed a diaper before, but it completely got him dressed with a new undershirt and new clothes and everything. And there he was. And I was in amazement that at eight years old, she had the foresight to do that because he was screaming from his crib and she just went in and took care of him right. like that. No, that's great. I mean, we, we're not up to, I have to teach them how to change diapers. That's next on my list. But they, you know, it's cute. My, we joke, my husband and I, it's good we had two because they fight over holding them. So at least like there's two to go around. They don't have to wait so long for a turn. Uh, but they they love you know, the, the older ones especially, like enjoy holding them and taking pictures of them on their, you know, iPods and things like that and putting them on Instagram. So they're not stuff. complaining that they're keeping them up at night? No. Mommy, I need to study and the babies are crying. <laughs> no, we, uh, we we shove them in, in closets where they're out of earshot of mo- most of my other kids. Do your kids know about your blog? Um, they know that I'm writing one. They, they, they haven't read it. Um, but I, I mean, I write it every time knowing that my older girls might see it and, you know, I'm careful not to write anything that would be embarrassing for them or, you know, sharing something of theirs that they would prefer was private. Yeah. So I, I, I was going to ask if um, when you're writing about, you know, the personal and the family, do you think twice before you write? It, it, it is hard. Yes, I do. Um, you know, because obviously you know, people connect to personal stories and you do want to, you know, there are a lot of things I'm sure other mothers could relate to and other families could relate to, but I do want to respect, um, you know, my child, they're, they're getting older and they get self-conscious and they're girls and I don't want to be on their bad side. (laughs) For sure. Not definitely not growing, going forward. It's funny that you say also that you, that you're one of four girls because I, I always think, because I also have three sisters, and it, it's like when you get into a fight with one sister, you need to have another sister to go to. So as a mother of all these girls, you need to you need to stay on their good side as well. Uh, okay, we're going to take, take a short break, and we'll be back right after this.
Take a deep breath and relax. Pretty soon you'll get your snacks. So why not have a little bit? Yes, try to have a little bit. I'm sure that you can have a bit of patience. Don't say tomorrow. I need that toy right now. Be fulfilled with Star Wars. If I can have it now. My friend, boy, she has it. So I must have it now. I might even try and grab it. If I can't have it now. Oh, you gotta have Try to have a little bit. I'm sure that you can have a bit of patience. a bit longer to get my surprise bag. Me too. It's not so bad to wait a little bit. That's better, Kindela. I'm so proud of you for showing some patience. You know, Mommy, I think our girls are really starting to grow up. Maybe when we get to New York, we'll buy them an extra special treat for being so patient. Yay! What will it be? Could you tell us now? Patience is such a virtue uh, with having kids. And today we are talking about um, having children, raising children, and writing about it. We're talking with Erica Schwartz, who has recently started a blog called Six in the City, found at nymamadrama.blogspot.com. Erica lives in Manhattan with her husband and their six children. So how do you maintain patience every day when you're dealing with your kids just you know, whether it's getting them out the door in the morning or getting them through dinner time, through bedtime, what goes on in your house? Um, so the answer is that some of the time I do and a lot of the time I don't. Um, it, it, it's hard. I mean, there, there are times I feel like I've got it together and everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing and two babies are sitting in their two bouncy seats and I'm answering a Hebrew question for this one and helping a math question for that one. And this one's at an after school activity. And there are other moments where, you know, two babies are crying and everyone seems to be needing me at the same time. And I feel like I'm doing a horrible job and disappointing what's become a growing number of children. Um, I, you know, I, I think the way I try to handle it is I, I speak to my kids you know, as if they're kind of adults and can understand that even moms mess up sometimes and don't always come through for everyone. And if I snap and I lose it, I always go in and I say, sorry, you know, I guess I got a little stressed the way they get a little stressed and and things like that. You know, I try to treat them like adults that way. And do you find that, you know, like you said, just there's a lot of self-analysis going on there? Yeah, I feel, you know, we all, I mean, look, we, we think all the time about what our parents did and, you know, the things that they did great jobs at, the things we wished might have been different. Um, and, I, you know, I think all the time about the ways in which I'm setting my children up for the world and what kind of people they are when they're not in our house. 
um, what kind of, you know, children they are in school. And, and I don't mean as students, I mean as, as people and how they relate to their peers and they speak to other adults. And, you know, you, you wonder how your kids are on play dates and are they somebody who w- would make you proud? Or if you got a peek into them, be like, yikes, how did they, how are they speaking that way? Um, so I do always kind of, you know, wonder across a lot of areas, like, are, you know, are we doing a good job? That's, you know, me and my husband. And you feel like if today wasn't my best day, tomorrow I have another chance to yeah. to reinvent myself. I do. You know, I think children are, they're very resilient and they're also very forgiving. They don't have a long, you know, attention span and, and memory. You know, I always remember like when I was angry at my parents, I said, go to bed, you'll feel better in the morning. And in the morning, I don't, you know, all night long, I'd say, remember to be still angry in the morning. Remember to be angry. But usually wake up <laughs> right. and you're not you angry anymore. About it. Um, and, you know, I, I noticed the same thing. You know, sometimes it's like you, you want to try to make sure everybody is going to sleep perfectly happy and, you know, with a big smile on their face. They're just, t- you know, but it doesn't always work that way. But the next day they wake up a different person and, and I do too, usually. You've written in uh, your Jewish Week column about experiences that you've had sort of being the voyeur, as you're talking about, at your kid's school, being able to be a parent that comes to watch a program and actually see your child in action. How does that affect you, let's say, as a mom, but also just as a Jewish participant raising your children in a Jewish world when you see them in school and, and participating in programs like that? I mean, I feel like the, those programs are are the top reason why I send my children to a Jewish school. Yesterday, I had my third daughter's chumash assembly. And it's interesting because it was the third one I had been to. And actually, one of my daughters had one just last year. And there, there's something about watching your child, first of all, like receive a chumash and kind of before they even really understand what it is. And th- there's something about, and, and the way that, you know, my kids go to Ramaz, the way that they do it is they they have the child recite the bracha over, you know, learning Torah. And you stand there with your child as they do it. And I mean, I don't care where you are coming from religiously, but there's something just, it, I mean, there were a lot of tears in the room, you know, from all kinds of parents. And, you know, and you watch your child sing Shehechianu and, and, and you feel like making that blessing at that moment. You're just, it's, it's, it's exciting. Whatever's happening in the world and it, it seems so, it's exciting to be a part of your child's experiences that way. And a moment like that, like receiving the Chumash feels almost like a ritualistic, one of the top 10, you know, getting your, getting your sitter, getting your Chumash, going to your bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, like it's, it's on that road. Definitely. And, you know, I, I also, I, I've always like loved and been very moved by Jewish music and, you know, the, the kids, they all sang, you know, Vizakani and, you know, thinking about, you know, they're singing it as kids. They, you know, they don't know what they're saying exactly, but, you know, as a mother who, you know, s- says that every Friday night and thinks about what that is. And, you know, this summer, you know, I always kind of, you know, mention each of my kids' names in my head. And, you know, that first week when you add, when I added two more, you know, it's just it, all of these things, you know, and I think ahead and I was looking at boy-girl twins in the grade and thinking that, you know, 
before I know it, in, you know, seven years, we're going to be back here and have to go two days in a row because right. they'll be in different classes. Um, but, you know, it's it's a it's a milestone and and it's so exciting how excited the children are to, to do it. You've written also in the Jewish Week about the Friday Oneg, about dropping everything to come experience that. What what was what is the Oneg like and what was that like for you to be a part of that? So the Friday Oneg, you know, especially like in these winter months where, you know, Shabbos seems to, you know, begin an hour after we wake up. Um, I mean, my kid, even as every part of my regiment slowed down being pregnant with twins and I really wasn't allowed to walk more than one block. Luckily, Ramaz is across the street from me. Um, and I continued to go to Oneg. I, I love, again, I, I love listening to the, to the songs and to the kids kind of, you know, unselfconsciously singing along to the songs. And there's just such a, it, it really, it whatever's happening and however many dishes I think I might've cooked badly that morning and nothing's going to come out right. And I can't believe Shabbos is starting in two minutes. I feel like for the, that half hour, 45 minutes, it's just the, let's remember what's important. You know, it gets me excited for Shabbos in a way that I like, as opposed to stressed for Shabbos. Um, and my kid, you know, if I'm not there one week, my kids know that something is wrong and I, I, something must have really come up that was important. So experiencing that as an adult through your children's eyes, even though the program is intended to make Shabbos more special for the children, but being there as an adult has actually also made Shabbos more special for you. Yeah, I think it, you know, it obviously, you know, school does a part and parents do a part, you know, it, it really, it needs to be a partnership. And, you know, in some ways I feel like that own egg, you, you see other parents who like to go regularly. I've brought each of, I've taken turns bringing each twin, um, you know, one week I'll bring the boy, one bring, week I'll bring the girl. Um, and got to make sure they're quiet got, before him. Exactly. <laughs> well <She's>, fed, <laughs> well clean. Um, you know, and it's just, uh, you know, I love watching the way the children learn. You know, there's very creative skits and, you know, plays about the Parsha. And it, it brings it into a very real context. And, you know, I feel like these stories, obviously, they are timeless. And, you know, I feel like the kids get into it. And my kids come away. They, they know what's going on in the Parsha. How is what you write on the blog different from your pieces in the Jewish week? Um, I mean, I think there, you know, the blog was kind of, you know, much more sarcastic, much more New York City, cynical. Um, yes, I'm let's, gonna, let's I'm gonna tell the <laughs> listeners about one entry that was particularly funny. The Purple Statue of Liberty. Okay. <laughs> let, let, let's tell the listeners about that. Um. You know, so that was on the blog. So that was on the blog, right? Not in the Jewish Week. I w right. I would not have written about that in the Jewish Week. The Jewish Week tends to be more serious stuff. Um, you know, I was, po look, you know, when I realized after I had these babies that I was going to be like walking down my sister-in-law's aisle in six weeks, um, I mean, I knew it was not going to be a pretty sight. And, you know, as I kind of was describing it to people, describing you know, going for fittings and making sure I had a dress that I could nurse in or pump in or whatever it was going to be, you know, there almost seemed to be something comical about it if I could take a step back from it. Obviously, 
I also shed a lot of tears over that dress and over how I looked and, you know, the, the stresses. But, you know, in some ways, I feel like the blog gave me an outlet to try to say, this is a crazy time, but I have to have a little bit of a sense of humor about it because it, it will pass and I'll probably always remember it or maybe I'll block it out. Um, but, you know, it, it'll, it's kind of fun to write about in a funny way. Once again, we just want to remind everybody that if they do want to read that piece on the Purple Statue of Liberty, they can find your blog at nymamadrama.blogspot.com. Just getting back to something of a more serious topic, you written, actually this was from the blog, something more serious on facing Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur this year. So you had just given birth to your twins, your fifth and sixth child, children, and you wrote the following. I'm going to read you your words. For some reason, this pregnancy and the birth of a fifth and sixth child has made me more conscious of my mortality than ever before. Rob and I joke that with so many kids, we've made each other completely unremarriageable. It's a bad joke and a nervous joke because on some level, I do think about what would happen if something happens to one of us and the number of children who are now dependent on us. I am more conscious about how many children's lives I am now responsible for, connected to, and sustained by. I'm a Jewish mother, after all, and six is a lot of children to worry about. This is how life works. The miracle of life is also a reminder that our lives are finite. And as I watch how quickly these babies are growing and how quickly my older girls are growing and maturing, I know that my life and theirs is moving way too fast. Hearing those words now, a bunch of months, you know, two months later, what what strikes you? Um, you know, I... It's when we return home from uh, this bris and baby naming, we came into the house and my baby nurse gave my son his vitamin and he started choking on it. And we actually ended up having to call 911. Oh, gosh. And I mean, he was fine. He came back, but he had like turned kind of bluish. And I had seen them like use a mucus plug in my daughter's mouth in the hospital and kind of did that. And, you know, and you, your heart stops. And, you know, I, I started realizing, you know, first in the context of two babies, but, you know, you, you're that newborn stage is such a fragile stage. You're so worried about them getting sick and before they get their shots and and all that. And here was two babies. I felt double the, the nervousness. And. And we start seeing as our kids get older how much our happiness is tied up, you know, to theirs and the different stresses that are going to come along the way for them, whether, you know, it's in school or socially or with anything that they'd like for themselves. We want us, we want them to have it and it doesn't always work that way. And, you know, different kids have different struggles. And, you know, I, I think that in some way, having so many children around is just kind of making me realize, you know, as I write there that it's, it's a lot of kids to, to take care of and a lot of kids to worry about and, and be invested in. Um, I mean, I, you know, I hope that we're going to rise to it and we're, we're going to do it, but you know, and the, the mortality piece, you know, my, my daughter, Sophie said to me, you know, right around the time that I wrote this, she said, you know, how old will I be at Eliana and Barry's bar and bat mitzvah? You know, and she got all excited. She's going to be 19 and she's going to be wearing high heels. She told me and makeup and all that stuff. And, you know, she asked about grand, you know, her grandparents and whether they would definitely be there 
and you know and i think in that kind of cute way the child asks it's obviously a logical question i mean you do always wonder you know obviously as each generation gets older the generation ahead of it gets even older than that and i think because these children are more removed from my others and i'm an older mother it has made me more conscious of that yeah and it's not just also about the day-to-day physical responsibility of feeding them and clothing them and you know like you said earlier making sure they've done their homework and you know even getting them out the door i mean I'm sure you feel this in your house, but in my house also, I feel like sometimes I'm just so busy getting through the day, getting through the evening that I've almost forgotten to think about the fact that it's Monday and Monday has passed and now we're going into Tuesday. And sometimes it's, it's so easy to forget about the big picture in it all because you're so busy just with the physical responsibility of the day to day. How do you keep that in check? I mean, I know as a writer, you, you know, you write, a, you have an ability to write about these the bigger picture, so to speak. But um, when you're just busy getting through the day-to-day, how do you keep that bigger picture in mind? Um, I make a lot of lists. I write a lot of things down. Um, I mean, it sounds kind of nerdy, I guess, but, you know, I keep... You have a list of I, all the lists I have, like, too. a list of all the lists, and, you know, every day... Has, you get such joy at, of crossing things <laughs> off the list, too. It's true, but I feel like things tend to roll over to the next day very frequently. But, you know, and I also kind of try to keep like a little, you know, whether it's a mental piece of paper or an actual piece of paper um, on kind of larger things going on in each child's life, things that I kind of need to address. Um, And, you know, to kind of keep on looking at each child individually. I I think that's obviously the piece that is the most important, especially as like a family grows, you know, is to kind of remember that every child is different, you know, and I mean, last night I I made the grave mistake of, you know, saying to one of my kids, you know, do you notice that so-and-so is doing their homework independently in their room and and you're not? And and I realized that's always like the – it was a kiss of death. The comparison is terrible. Um, Instead, I should have just encouraged her. (laughs) And and I've done it between a boy and a girl. It's bad. It's bad. And I paid the the consequences. Um, And you try to undo it. I tried to undo it, but it it didn't work so well. Um, hopefully it'll be one of those things that they gloss over (laughs) as they get older. They won't remember that line. They'll remember other ones more. Um, you have written about, you know, we're talking about legacy. So you've written about your grandfather, um, who you, you've described him as the son of the Boyana Rebbe, your grandmother's husband, who was remarried to your grandmother for 45 years and the integration of the religious world and the secular world particularly about how important Thanksgiving was to him. As we raise our children in this mix of, you know, the Jewish, the secular, all sort of rolled into into one, what lessons do you take from that legacy and, and why do you think that that's such an important legacy? Um, I mean, I've always, I've always loved Thanksgiving, um, you know, I mean, it was cute, you know, it was cute. My, you know, one of my kids asked me the day, you know, are we allowed to watch TV on Thanksgiving? You know, you know, she kind of got confused that it's, you know, not a Jewish holiday for us, but I, you know, and look, it's hard. You should have said no. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> not allowed to watch TV or play DS on Thanksgiving. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, especially in today, I, I feel like we're in a little bit of a time now where, the, our country, you know, America and 
the political world and has like a lot of gloom and pessimism. And it is hard to kind of still put a positive spin on our country. But, you know, I think that it's important for the kid for kids to appreciate, you know, that we live in a democratic country, you know, like, you know, I still even though it's overly computerized now, obviously, the way we vote, but you know, I felt like it was very important to bring my children with me, you know, to the voting booth. Um, you know, so that they understand that not in every country in the world, does every citizen get to cast a vote. And even though, obviously, I know that my New York vote didn't really count for so much, they they don't. And, uh, you know, I've always admired about that grandfather of mine who comes from such a a different world than I'm in even and has always felt like such a proud, always did feel like such a proud American coupled with his like Hasidic, you know, background. It was always just a very striking combination for me. What else have you taken do you think about him when you're in your raising of your kids? What what other kinds of lessons have you taken from him? Um, I mean, I th- you know, I think the fact that, you know, his embrace of Thanksgiving and of, you know, American culture, he, you know, he always was so interested in like meeting my college friends and talking to them about their courses and always being so well read in you know, what's happening in the secular world and following secular authors. Um, and, I, you know, I always, uh, as as knowledgeable and educated as he was Jewishly, obviously. And, you know, I guess I always think that he was somebody who, you know, was, you know, wore this long black coat and black hat on Shabbos and, you know, looked obviously in a very different world than I am in. But, those that secular side was still very very important to him and and I you know encourage my kids as well that they should you know I they now they have their chumash but you know I hope that they are as excited to learn a parsha as they are to study Shakespeare we're gonna take a short break and we're gonna come back right after this My good friend, Mr. Katz, yesterday He looked all upset, so I started to say Things can't be so bad, why are you so sad? You better tell me right away I'd be just as happy as I was before If only I'd listened and trusted you more I ignored your advice I'm paying the price. I went with all of my kids to a store. You went to a store with your girls and your boys? And it was a big store, a store filled with toys. But I warned you not. I know I forgot. Oh, it was a day that I did not enjoy. I know just what happened, don't tell me a thing I know cause I took my kids there last spring When you got to the store and walked through the door All of your kinderlech started to sing
like I said to you before, never take kids to a store. All you're gonna hear is... I'm sorry, little Schaefer Lamb, I am millionaire. You already have that train, I know it works just fine. But look, it's such a bargain, only 1999. We rock hard and tracks, you see, and a court monopoly. See this camera, it's so nice. Look, it's made by Fisher Price. Like I said to you before, never take kids to a store. All you're gonna hear is... We want why do you need that Care Bear? There's one at home, I think. But Tati, that one's yellow, and this one here is pink. Do you see the storybook? It's something that I need. I'd love to buy it, Schmully, but you don't know how to read. We want robots that can talk, and animals that walk. We want checkers, we want chess. We won't ever leave a mess. Like I said to you before, never take kids to a store. All you're gonna hear is... We want more and more. They were crying, they were shouting. Why, I'll bet one even screamed. And you whispered, please be quiet. We don't want to make a scene. So you bought them all they wanted. More than you can afford. And an hour after you got home, they said, Tati, we are But kids who have good meadows are simply not that way. They know how to appreciate whatever comes their way. And you could even disregard all that I've said before and let them come along with you. When you go to a store. Tina, what are you doing? I'm ripping on my list, Tello. I want to be a kid that has good minos. So I'm only going to ask Tati for one toy. Me too. Look, Tati's here. Let's go. Oh, boy. Baruch Hashem. Welcome back to Something to Talk About. I'm Randy Wartelski. I'm sitting here with Erica Schwartz. Erica is a Harvard graduate who, before having children, spent several years writing and editing at the Wall Street Journal and freelancing for a few other publications. She's currently primarily a stay-at-home mom, but has spent time continuing to freelance, writing a column in the Jewish Week, and working on a book. And she has recently started a blog called Six in the City about living in Manhattan with her husband and their six children. Erica, when you were pregnant with your third child, you wrote about gender pressure, specifically with regard to religious life. And you specifically talked about an incident where your husband was sitting alone in shul when your daughter opted to sit with you upstairs. How has that changed now that you have a son? And what does your husband say about all this? Um, well, I, I mean, I look, it's, it's probably a little early to tell how it's going to be different now that we do have a son until he's a little older. But I think that in any Orthodox r- religion, there, you know, 
men do have a, a different kind of status a little bit than women. And it is, it, it's been, I definitely felt a lot of pressure to have a boy. I mean, in an ideal world, we should all, you know, experience the b both genders if we could. Um, but obviously, you know, as we tell our kids, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Um, and, you know, I think that for my husband, there was a time as we kind of continued to have girl after girl where, you know, shul life and kind of thinking down the road to kind of, you know, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, that whole thing had a certain element of loneliness for him. And, you know, I think now he's probably too distracted by having so many kids. And the truth is between my basically having been on, you know, a, a modified bed rest for most of my pregnancy and being home now with twins on Shabbos, you know, he's kind of a one man show in shul, even with our girls that he forgot what it's like to actually sit in Davin. Um, but, you know, I, I think that he, look, he, he adores our girls. He's a great father to girls. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him that, you know, he, he won't have to wait to have a son-in-law to have a, a companion to sit next to him in shul. He's going to have to learn how to deal with the son-in-laws, too. Exactly. God <laughs> what does he think about your blog? Um, he, 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 he likes it. I mean, he, you know, I think he, he has, he also like enjoys, you know, watching us kind of poke fun at the craziness of our life right now. Um, you know, he's always, I mean, he's always my final editor on any, on everything that I've ever written. Um, and actually, even though he's in a completely different field, he always makes, I always feel like, very good suggestions and corrections, although he knows that I'm probably going to be mad at him for a little while after he uh, corrects me. But no, he, you know, I, I love having his input in, in the pieces that I write. And he must be a good litmus test, too, because he's sort of reading it as any regular reader might. Exactly. And he's he's very upfront. You know, he's not going to sugarcoat something and... You know, especially writing about things that are personal and about people, you know, I, he's always a good person to kind of make sure so-and-so won't be upset or this isn't rude to our kids or this isn't, you know, something. Is he open season? He's <laughs> you can talk about him. <laughs> yes. He <laughs> and as long as he okays it, he's like, all right, she's not going to hate you if you write that. <laughs> exactly. So now I have my, my big question for you, which is, you know, you write about having all these kids living in the city. And how many young families move out for more space? So now the big question, da, 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 are you planning to stay in the city? So, right. So um, we are planning on staying in the city um, for as long as we can, um, you know, which I hope is forever. But, you know, there was a, when we first got married, we, you know, we definitely thought we were going to leave the city. You know, we gave ourselves a five-year timetable and the five years passed and, you know, I think we, we we love our community here. We love our school here, and you know, you know, thank God we ha have a, you know, it's not a big space, but it's enough space for uh, our our children to kind of live and have their own bed. And but it's there, there's something very exciting about living in New York City, and there are definitely I'm not one of these people who feels like there's no advantages to the suburbs. I see it. I get it. I'm sure if I had five boys and one girl, 
we would have been at a long time ago. Yeah, you'd but, need that football field. <laughs> but luckily, my girls like to do a lot of coloring and beads. And That's a good point. Very that, sedentary. Yeah. That's a good point. Very sedentary things. Yeah, that boys might need more space to just run around and throw a ball around. But, uh, no, I mean, I you know, there are definitely times of the year where I wish we had a backyard. And it's obviously different, but... You know, there's also something exciting, you know, on went last Wednesday before Thanksgiving, you know, I took one of my daughters ice skating in Central Park and, you know, I loved looking up and saying, wow, this is really one of the most, most beautiful cities in the world. You forget, you know, you don't see it through the eyes of a tourist when you live here, but it's a special place to live. Right. And, and having ice skating also so close, you don't have, I mean, uh, transportation is easy. It's almost in a sense easier when you live in proximity where there's public transportation, where, you know, in the suburbs, you got to drive everywhere. Exactly. Right. I mean, we just took our maiden voyage in our now eight seater car. Ooh. Um, yeah. You wrote about that in your blog. Right. What did you get? So we got the Yukon Denali, you know, kind of like but it was suburban. A big de- it was a big decision. It was a big decision and it's tight and my kids have to kind of do acrobatics, my big kids to get into the back row and... It's, we, we, we can't, we can't give anyone else a ride. <laughs> it's just us. Um, but, you know, I know that if I lived in the suburbs and was in the car much more, I think I'd probably feel some of those logistical inconvenient, you know, challenges a little bit more than I do in the city where schools across the street. I mean, I barely take public transportation. Um, right. You know, and anytime I'm out, I feel like I'm a hop, skip and a jump away. So there's something very relaxing about that. You know, you talk about, Lots of kids living in close quarters. Lots of people living in close quarters. So I um, I once taught a young girl who was one of six. And I ran out of the, the papers that I was giving to the class or whatever. And I said to this particular girl, just because it happened that I got to her that I ran out, I said, do you mind to share with the person next to you? She said, Maura Randy, I'm from a family of six children. If anyone in this room knows how to share, it's me. I could share anything. And I think, do you feel that moving forward that your kids will have that that uh, ability to, to share, to, to be around a lot of other people without feeling that people are constantly getting in their way? You feel like they're learning to sort of navigate just being around a lot of people and, and dealing with it well. Yeah, I think that they... You know, I'm actually, I've been very pleasantly surprised with how they've all kind of reacted to our, you know, growing crew. Um, You know, I'm a firstborn and my husband's a firstborn, so I feel like I can say it. I feel like the the hardest changes are always for the, for the oldest. Yeah. um, Who kind of, you know, think they deserve a a monopoly of your, on your time. But the rest of the kids, they, they never knew a world where they were alone and they, you know, they shift and, you know, the other night I heard, you know, that they were like, are you going to have more babies, more babies? Um, whether they mean it or not, I don't know. It was, cu- it was cute that they even could say that they would want that. I mean, whether they mean it or not, they're probably just testing me. But um, no, it is, you know, look, I feel like siblings is, is, a, is a gift for sure. And, you know, I love when I'm, you know, getting ready to go to bed and I overhear my girls, you know, who sharing a room and talking to each other and, you know, I'm very close with my sisters and I always say, you know, these are going to be your best friends when you get older. These are going to be the people you talk about me to. <laughs> well, that, that's what I said earlier, that also when you're, 
you know, you have to have somebody to complain to about your mom. Exactly. Like, come on. Sorry, mommy. I didn't mean anything against you. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's a credit to you also to, to create an environment in which they do feel, you know, that camaraderie and that sisterly and now brotherly love. And it's a credit to you and your husband for creating that kind of environment in such a, in such a busy life. So we're at this segment of our show where I like to sort of call out a few quotes and let's just get some response. Um, but the first quote is actually not a quote. It's just a little cute, cute little story called the mommy test. And I don't know if you've heard this before, but it, it's very cute. It's, you know, it's just something that I, that I found. I was walking out with my then four-year-old daughter. She picked up something off the ground and started to put it in her mouth. I asked her not to do that. Why? Because it's been laying outside and it's dirty and probably has germs. At this point, she looked at me with total admiration and asked, wow, how do you know all this stuff? Uh, I was thinking quickly, everyone knows this stuff. Um, it's on the mommy test. You have to know it or they don't let you be a mommy. Oh, we walked in silence for two or three minutes, but she was evidently pondering this new information. I get it. She beamed. Then if you flunk, you have to be the daddy. (laughs) So you said Rob was open season. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, yesterday morning, I, I wanted to get good seats at the Humash assembly. So I ran ahead and left him to kind of give everybody breakfast and get them going. And next thing I knew that he had given them, you know, spoiled cheese in their eggs. Lovely. Um, so, you know, I, I think that my kids, especially maybe because they're girls, they do, you know, they always say, you know, mommy and daddy are the boss of all of us and mommy's the boss of daddy. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Um, so I think they, they, they tend to defer to me. They're also a little bit more scared of me. Um, but you know, there has to be an element of good cop, bad cop, um, to kind of make it work. An unknown, uh, person writes, I'd like to be the ideal mother, but I'm too busy raising my kids. Do you feel that? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I do feel that, you know, every once in a while I kind of, I don't know, ideal mother, ideal person. I do, you know, you, you think about what you want to accomplish in your life. Um, and, you know, I feel like the, obviously right now I've been, everything kind of has been at such a standstill and everything has just been about, about I'm not, it always is about your kids, but it has been so in, in a, in a greater way. I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think that our kids, they are a full-time job. Um, Sophia Loren wrote sort of the same idea. When you are a mother, you are never really alone in your thoughts. A mother always has to think twice, once for herself and once for her child. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's, you always kind of, you're always worried about your, you know, what, what's that expression? You know, you're always as happy as your, as your least happy child. Right. Um, you know, but you always think about what your kids are what's the best decision for your kids? And, you know, this has been a de- definitely a challenging time in our lives, but, you know, I, I basically just want my children, my older four children's lives to kind of continue the way it was and for them to kind of have their same play dates and their same, you know, Shabbos life and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, balancing it all is hard. Yeah, the, the balance is, is definitely a daily challenge. And I'll leave you with one last quote. Um, which is just which is just such a good lesson to leave for our listeners. There is no way to be a perfect mother. There are a million ways to be a good one. 
yeah, I think that there's no, there's no such thing as the perfect mother, you know, we, but you know, we all, it's something that we all work so hard at. Um, well, Erica, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for your inspiring words. And um, once again, we'll remind our readers to check out your blog at nymamadrama.blogspot.com. And um, to go back, and I'm sure they could look up some of your old Jewish Week articles as well, because those were um, very, very meaningful. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Let's give them something to talk about. Something to talk about. Let's